0: next talk is by Jennifer Kisser, uh, and she'll return to the problems of HCV, and her topic or title is Treatment of HCV Co-Infection, Navigating the Interactions. Jennifer. I'm actually
1: not a Kisser. I get that a lot, though. <laughs> Here are my disclosures. I'm mainly going to be talking about Bicepravir and telaprevir today. I do receive research support from both Merck and Vertex. So to borrow a quote from my colleague, Ken Sherman, I'm either fairly balanced or, um, or equally conflicted. So at the conclusion of my talk, I'd like you to be able to compare and contrast the clinical pharmacology of Bicepravir and telaprevir identify therapeutic classes of drugs with the potential to interact with the sepravir and telapravir, and to be able to manage the drug interactions. And then I have one slide where we can just briefly look at the interaction potential in the clinical pharmacology of our next wave of hep C drugs. So in a patient that's co-infected with HIV and hepatitis C that you're considering for treatment um, with hepatitis C medications, you have a lot of interactions to consider. You've got the antiretrovirals, and they're going to interact with the sepravir and tilaprovir potentially. Then you have to think about the concomitant medications. So you have these bi- and tri-directional interactions that are, of course, a bit difficult to navigate. I might have taken the nautical theme a bit too far, <laughs> but I like to think about hep C as a journey. So first you have to sit down with the patient and go through all their medications, prescription and over-the-counter. Check on the doses of all these medications. And that doesn't mean just looking in the computer. That means actually sitting down with the patient. Reviewing any um, herbal or dietary supplements with them. Also use of recreational drugs. Get a very good list of what the patient actually takes. You then have to consider the clinical pharmacology of these two drugs, the Biceprevir and the Telaprevir. Identify interactions with their concomitant medications. Then you have to identify interactions with the antiretrovirals. And you have to manage all the interactions. And hopefully you won't get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. It's a long voyage, but hopefully it will end in SVR or sustained virologic response. Drug interactions aren't new to you guys. You've been dealing with drug interactions in HIV since the protease inhibitors came out in the 90s. You'll remember that the cytochrome P450 enzymes play a big role in drug interactions. I'm only going to review the um, basic principles of clinical pharmacology just a little bit here, but the majority of medications that are marketed are metabolized by the isoform CYP3A, and there are compounds that are substrates for CYP3A enzymes, compounds that inhibit them, compounds that induce them. This is going to be an illustration of cytochrome P450 enzyme inhibition. So on the y-axis, you have concentration. On the x-axis, you have time. And then you have the concentrations in the blood of a substrate. You introduce an inhibitor. Can you guys give me an example of a CYP inhibitor? yell it out. You've been quiet all day. I really want to hear from you. Retonavir, of course, one of the best known ones. So you introduce the inhibitor, retonavir, and then the concentrations of the substrate go up. In contrast, this is what induction looks like. So you have the concentrations in the blood of the substrate, then you introduce an inducer. Can you give me an example of an inducer? Efavirins is a good one. Uh, also, rifampin, one of the most potent ones that we know of. So you introduce that inducing agent and then not right away. It takes the body a little time to make new enzyme, but once it does, the concentrations of that substrate are going to go down. So that is inhibition and induction of um, cytochrome P450 enzymes. <coughs> so, the sepravir and telaprevir are cytochrome P450 3A substrates. And this is evidenced by the fact that a potent CYP3A inhibitor, like ketoconazole, raises their concentrations, and a potent inducer, like efavirenz, lowers their concentrations. And so, the data presented in this table are geometric mean ratios. I have a couple of slides that show some geometric mean ratios, so I want to make sure you understand what this is. Um, It's the concentration of the drug when given with another drug relative to the concentrations when it's given alone. So, for instance, with ketoconazole, the bisepravir AUC is increased 2.3-fold. In addition to being uh, a substrate for CYP3A, these drugs are also CYP3A inhibitors. So they're going to raise the concentrations of CYP3A substrates. So Biceprivir raises midazolam 5.3-fold, telaprevir raises it 9-fold. Atorvastatin raised 2.3-fold um, by Biceprivir, and telaprevir raises it 7.9-fold. So these data would suggest, there's some different study designs, that uh, telaprevir is a more potent CYP3A inhibitor than Biceprivir. So a lot of talk in the field of drug interactions relates to the uh, cytochrome P450 enzymes, but really drug transporters are being increasingly recognized for the important role that they play in mediating drug interactions. So who's heard of OATP1B1? Not very many of you. Well, this, this, in, uh, this particular transporter is going to have some importance in the field of hep C because the inhibits OATP1B1 and so do several of the investigational DAAs. OATP1B1 is an uptake transporter. So this is my oversimplification of transporters in the liver. It's going to take drugs up into the hepatocyte. And then you have some efflux transporters like PGP and multidrug-resistance protein 2 and breast cancer-resistance protein. And these transporters pump substances from inside the hepatocyte into the bile. So PGP, both tilapravir and biseprovir inhibit PGP, but tilapravir does it to um, a, a bit larger extent. And tilapravir inhibits MRP2. And this is evidenced by its effect on tenofovir. So tenofovir concentrations are increased by telapravir. Also, I'm not showing you uh, a representation of transporters in the kidney, but there are some kidney transporters that are important for the treatment of hep C. Um, who's familiar with the MATE-1 transporter? Anybody? So, Cobysostat um, inhibits this transporter, MATE-1. And by doing so, it raises the levels of serum creatinine in the blood. And that doesn't mean the patient has impaired renal function. It's simply the fact that this particular compound is blocking the creatinine's efflux. Well, telapravir can do that, too. So there's been a lot of talk recently about serum creatinine elevations with telapravir. It's probably because telapravir has been shown in vitro to inhibit MATE1. So if that, in this particular instance, serum creatinine may no longer be a good uh, marker of renal function in your patient while they're on telapravir. So why do we care about drug interactions? Well, for every drug, there exists a range of concentrations that we have to balance our desired effect. In the case of an antiviral drug, that would be suppression of viral replication with our undesired effect, toxicities. And for some drugs, this range is wide and for others, it's narrow. And there's things that can shift that curve in one direction or another. For instance, the food a patient may take, their genetic makeup, In the case of hep C, a person's degree of liver damage. So a patient with very advanced liver disease is going to have a different PK profile, potentially, than a patient without advanced liver disease. Body weight is another factor that might shift this curve. And of course, the topic of this talk, drug-drug interactions. So I have two kids and I work a lot and I don't get out much. So this is my idea of funny. These are, (laughs) only the pharmacists are going to laugh probably, but these are drugs at a party and they're interacting. it's sad. So let's put what we know now about the sepravir and telapravir pharmacology to work. This is a 57-year-old African-American patient and she's being considered for triple therapy for hepatitis C. I want you to forget for just a minute what Dr. Ray talked you about whether to treat now or wait. This particular patient said she really, 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 really wanted to be treated right now, so we at least worked her up for treatment. Okay, so she has HIV She was diagnosed in 2005, presumed sexually acquired. Her CD4 nadir was around 200. She was started on treatment in 2007, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her treatment on the next slide. But she's done quite well with treatment. Her viral load is undetectable, and her CD4 cell counts have been in the 800 to 1,000 range, and in February they were 1,000. She has genotype 1A. She has never been treated before for her hepatitis C. And she had a biopsy last June showing grade 2 inflammation and stage 2 fibrosis. She has a viral load of 3.3 million. So like many of our patients, she has quite a few comorbidities. These include um, GERD, hypertension, chronic pain, and she has a a schizoaffective disorder and a personality disorder. Are you all laughing because you have patients like this? Yes. So, her antiretroviral therapy right now is raltegravir, tenofavir, and emtricitabine. She takes omeprazole for GERD, oxycodone as needed for chronic pain. So, she um, has some migraines, and she's had chronic pancreatitis, so she takes oxycodone uh, for pain relief. Her psychotropic medications include sertraline and quetiapine, and she takes amlodipine for her hypertension. So, this is an audience response question. I'll ask it again at the end. Which of the following agents would not be expected to interact with the sepravir or telapravir? Choice one, amlodipine, choice two, quetiapine, choice three, oxycodone, or choice four, ameprazole. So let's talk about the antihypertensives. So for the most part, you don't have to worry too much about antihypertensive agents, at least not ACE inhibitors or diuretics. There are two beta blockers that you have to think about, carvedilol and Nabivalol, because they use cyp 3 a and the um, angiotensin receptor blockers, Erbisartin and losartan. So those four may need to have dose reductions with the seprovir or tilaprovir. But the class you really do have to think about is the calcium channel blockers. So, amlodipine has been studied with tilaprovir and its concentrations are increased. The AUC is increased 2.8 fold. So, you do need to reduce the dose of amlodipine with tilaprovir. Now, we showed that um, bucepravir isn't quite as potent an inhibitor of CYP3A, but it's still likely to increase the levels of the amlodipine. So, we would likely need to reduce the amlodipine dose. So, uh, Dr. Ray said that the um, pharmacology of the hep C protease inhibitors was very different than the HIV protease inhibitors, however, they do seem to share some of the same unexplained drug-drug interactions, and this is one of them. So with the SSRI escitalopram, both the and telaprevir appear to lower the levels of the SSRI, and with the HIV protease inhibitors, both paroxetine and sertraline exposures were reduced. So I'm wondering if the SSRIs, kind of as a whole, might be reduced by the and telapravir. This doesn't appear to be the case with Cimepravir. So Cimepravir, which is TMC435, one of our investigational drugs, does not appear to alter escitalopram. But with Bicepravir and I think you should be aware of the fact that the SSRI levels might be lowered. So I wouldn't go in uh, and adjust the dose of the SSRI um, kind of proactively, I would instead just wait and see if the patient had any symptoms of withdrawal, but of course we need to make sure the SSRI dosing is um, optimized in the face of interferon. Okay, the antipsychotics. So almost all my patients are on antipsychotics. Um, This graph shows quetiapine concentrations when given with ketoconazole. So the black circles in the bottom, this is quetiapine by itself, And when given with a potent 3A inhibitor, ketoconazole, the concentrations were increased 335%. And there are cases in the literature of toxicity from the quetiapine with the HIV-PIs. So if possible, we should avoid the use of this agent in patients who are receiving tilaprovir or bisepravir. So you'll need to talk with the mental health care provider about what they might be able to use as an alternative. There are two other antipsychotic agents, aripiprazole and iloperidone which are increased a little bit, so they probably should go ahead and have their dose reduced by half to, when they're used with the sepravir and tilapravir. Our patient was also taking oxycodone as needed, and for most of my patients, as needed means around the clock. <laughs> so, um, oxycodone, tramadol, and fentanyl are all metabolized by CYP3A. So you would need to reduce the dose of these medications, or you could switch to another opioid like um, hydrocodone, codeine, morphine. Those are okay. So I would stand here all day if I were going to tell you about all of these different classes and the potential interactions with them. So I'll spare you that. I have covered the categories in blue, but these first two columns are other therapeutic classes of medications that have the potential for interactions with the sepravir and telapravir. And it doesn't mean every agent in that class, but maybe one or more of them. So you need to stop if you have a patient with a medication in any of these classes and determine the potential for interaction. And I'll give you some resources, websites, that you can go to to look up the interactions. Sadly, there are only two categories of medications where you don't have to really worry about interactions with the sepravir and and that's the gastric acid modifiers and opioid replacements like methadone or So that was, believe it or not, the um, low-hanging fruit. We're now going to go to the more complicated (laughs) interaction. So how would you manage antiretroviral therapy for this patient? So choice one, you wouldn't change a thing. Maintain raltegravir with tenofavir and m Number two, discontinue the raltegravir and switch to a PI. Number three, discontinue raltegravir and switch to an NNRTI. Or number four, discontinue raltegravir and switch to maraviroc. Luckily, this patient is on the correct regimen, but we're going to go through these other interactions so you're aware of them. So most of you have probably seen this slide before. These are the interactions between telaprevir and the ritonavir-boosted PIs. So in um, orange are the concentrations of the HIV PI when given alone, and in blue, these are the drug concentrations of the HIV PI when given with telaprevir. So you'll see with lopinavir, lopinavir concentrations were unaltered. atazanavir trough was increased. But with durinavir and fosamprenavir, both of their concentrations were reduced by half. And it looks like the curves were simply shifted down by half. So, confusing. And unfortunately, this was a bidirectional interaction. So not only were the HIV-PI concentrations altered for most of the drugs, but the telaprevir concentrations are altered as well. So in blue, these are the telaprevir concentrations alone. And the various colors represent the HIV protease inhibitors given with the telaprevir. So you'll see in uh, green, lopinavir reduces the telaprevir levels by about 54%. With the duranavir and fosamprinavir, they're reduced about 30%. And the smallest reduction is with atazanavir. So with atazanavir, the concentrations are reduced about 20% for the telaprevir.
0: So atazanavir is
1: used with telaprevir. It was used in the, um, in the phase three trials and is now used in practice. The same was true with sepravir and the ritonavir-boosted PIs. So these three pictures represent adazanivir, lopinavir, and darunivir concentrations. In orange, the concentrations of those HIV PIs when given alone. And in blue, their concentrations when they were given with sepravir. So you'll see that they were all reduced. And again, it was bidirectional, with the exception of adazanivir, where the Bacepravir PK wasn't altered much. With both lopinavir and darunivir, the Bacepravir levels were also lowered. So, I tried to summarize these interactions with the sepravir and Tilaprovir and the ritonavir-boosted HIV-PIs, and you'll see I have arrows going up, and I have arrows going down, and I have arrows that don't change at all. So, these interactions are inconsistent, unexpected, difficult to explain, and possibly multifactorial, and they leave us scratching our heads. This is one of my favorite topics. Our lab is doing some work in this area, um, but I'll try to keep my comments on this brief. I think that the interactions with the HIV-PIs um, deserve some, some additional study. And the mechanisms for them, there are a few that I thought of. Um, the first is this enzyme induction. So, do Biceprivir to laprivir induce enzymes and therefore reduce the concentrations of the HIV-PIs? Is there a decrease in bioavailability? Or is there some alteration in protein binding? So, I think there's some data accumulating to support the alteration in protein binding. So without getting too crazy with the pharmacology concepts here, the free concentration of a drug is the one that's responsible for the antiviral effects. And so it's a possibility that there's a protein binding interaction whereby the free concentration doesn't change at all, but the total concentrations look lower. And something that lends support to this is the phase two trial with the sepivir, granted it only had 100 patients, but 85% of them were on a ritonavir-boosted PI. And they had SVR rates similar to what we saw in hep C mono infected patients. So if there's a great big drug interaction here, we would have expected lower rates of SVR, and we would have expected rates of um, HIV breakthrough and there was no signal of that. So that argues potentially for the fact that the free concentrations may not be altered while the total concentrations are lower. So more data to come in this area. What about switching to an NNRTI? Well, there are interactions with the non-nucleos as well. I showed you the affinities early on. Real piverine is increased by both the and telaprevir, whereas with etravirine, the tilaprovir is reduced. Um, I mean, telaprevir is reduced with etravirine, whereas the is unchanged. But the actually lowered the levels of etravirine, so again, left us scratching our heads. So fortunately, our patient is on raltegravir, and that drug does not have problems with telapravir or bisepravir. So, raltegravir is increased a little bit by telapravir, probably because of inhibition of PGP, and it's not changed at all by bisepravir. These data are pretty recent. This is an interaction um, with maraviroc, and the slide looks a bit confusing. I'll walk you through it. So, with telapravir, the maraviroc AUC was increased 9.5-fold. With bisepravir, it was increased three-fold. And all of these are the HIV-PI interactions with Moraviroc. So you'll see it fits in with some of the HIV-PI interactions. So the recommendation with Moraviroc is that you can use it with Bacepravir and Tilaprovir, but you need to use a lower dose,
0: 150
1: milligrams BID. So this is a scorecard, just for your reference. In red, these are um, combinations you should avoid until more data are available. In yellow, caution, and in green. I have another audience response question. How long does it take for the inhibition effects of telapravir and bisepravir to wear off? So let's say we make a lot of changes to this patient's regimen. You reduce the amlodipine dose. You switch quetiapine to another antipsychotic. How long do we have to wait after we've stopped bisepravir or telapravir before we can change those things back? Number one, immediately following the last dose of the or telapravir. Number two, you have to wait one half-life of the drug, so that's nine to 11 hours for telaprevir, one to three hours for biceprovir. It should take about a week, or it should take about a month. So some of you thought it was number two, so you thought just because I was a pharmacologist that it, the answer had to have half-life in it. but. It's not that, it's number three actually. So these are suicide inhibitors, meaning that they block CYP3A from working as long as the enzyme's around. So it takes time to make new enzymes and that can take up to one week. So the answer is actually number three. So if you have a clinical pharmacist uh, available for, for your um, use when you have a patient that's going to be starting treatment, please use them. But if you don't, there's some good, really good websites. Uh, David Back at the University. Oops. How that <laughs> I didn't touch anything. Okay, so David Back at the University of Liverpool has a really good website, and what I like about his website is that he has charts where you can just point and click on the drugs that you want to look up, and it will give you the magnitude of the interaction, not just yes or no. There's an interaction. Also, the reference for it, so you can go look up the paper if you're a nerd like me and want to know more information about it. Um, Alice Singh at Toronto General Hospital updates her website pretty regularly. And Jean Morse at the University of Buffalo maintains a drug-drug interaction database for the adult AIDS clinical trials group. And then the DHHS guidelines, which you guys are of course familiar with using um, for HIV interactions is now including tilaprovir and bisepravir, however the interactions are gonna be specific to the antiretrovirals. You're not gonna be able to look up the concomitant medications there. So oh, what does the future hold? Let's peer into the crystal ball. There are a number of agents in uh, phase three trials. I can't talk about all of them. I'm only gonna talk about the ones that have interaction data with antiretrovirals. So first we'll consider feldopravir. So it is a CYP3A substrate. It appears to increase, be increased by darunavir, decreased slightly by efavirenz, and decreased slightly by tenofavir. But this is a pretty good interaction profile um, compared to or tilaprovir. With cemiplimab, it unfortunately um, is lowered 71% by afabiran and increased 360% by ritonavir boosted darunavir. So, the phase three trial did not allow afabiran or darunavir-ritonavir, or any PI for that matter. But tenofovir, rilpivirine, and raltegravir are okay to use with this agent, or were allowed in the phase three trials. Daclatibib is also a CYP3A substrate. Um, one nice thing about declatosphere is that it doesn't appear to alter a lot of cytochrome enzymes itself, although there are not a lot of published data on that at this point. But its dosing is going to look like Maraviroc. So you're going to have to reduce the dose when you use it with a PI, and you're going to have to increase the dose when you use it with a Fabrins. Now, Safospovir, so um, Dr. Dar showed you the clinical pharmacology of tenofovir, alafenamide, and So phosphorus is actually structurally pretty similar. It's a nucleotide, uridine nucleotide. It needs to get phosphorylated in cells by host enzymes to exert its antiviral effects. It's not metabolized by cytochrome enzymes, so it's a lot like the nucleosides that you guys are used to using in HIV. But that doesn't mean it's devoid of interactions. It could still have interactions at the level of intracellular phosphorylation or with drug transporters. But it has been studied with a number of antiretroviral agents, and the plasma concentrations aren't altered nor are the concentrations of its uridine metabolite that's measured in plasma. But I'll uh, give you the caveat here that they haven't measured the intracellular form of the drug for obvious reasons. It's hard to get into someone's liver and measure (laughs) phosphorylated forms of a nucleotide. So in conclusion, uh, Bacepravir and Telapravir have complex pharmacology. Unfortunately, interactions are not easily predicted but identification and management of these interactions is critical for treatment success. It appears the next batch of hepatitis C agents are less likely to act as perpetrators in interactions, so that's a good thing, but they're still victims. So they're still going to be susceptible to the effects of potent CYP3A inhibitors and inducers. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question again. Which of the following agents would not be expected to interact with the Bacepravir or TELAPR? Amlodipine, quetiapine, oxycodone, and omeprazole. Okay. So. <laughs> okay, great. I'd be happy to entertain questions.
0: Christine, that was that was terrific. I personally, I uh, felt that I had escaped having to know anything about cytokine for, B450 uh, for 30 years of my career. All I had to know was how glycosides were cleared by the kidney. But uh, my life has gotten more complicated. And you're complicating it even more, <laughs> Is there a clinical indication for measuring serum levels of of any of the drugs, the victims or the perpetrators?
1: Um, Excellent question. So, okay, for the concomitant medications, obviously if it's a drug with a narrow therapeutic index and there are commercial tests available um, for measuring that concomitant medication, for instance, um, warfarin or digoxin, or some of the antipsychotics, and by all means, you should use uh, therapeutic drug monitoring or for immunosuppressants or antiepileptics. What gets a little more complicated is with tilapravir and bisepravir. So um, tilapravir and bisepravir, they're gonna work in the liver and we can't measure liver levels of the drug. We can measure levels in plasma, but the concentration effect data, so with tilapravir and when they were given as either monotherapy or just with PEG interferon, there was an association between their plasma concentrations and viral decline. However, once you put them with interferon and ribavirin, we could no longer detect an association between their plasma concentrations and SVR. So we don't know a certain plasma concentration that might be associated with antiviral efficacy. Also in terms of toxicities, um, there's a, a weak relationship between telaprovir levels and anemia, So, um, but we don't know exactly what the right cutoff would be. So, I think this field is still evolving. There was recently, in the Journal of Therapeutic Drug Monitoring, a, a, a paper on this very topic with tilapravir and bacepravir. So um, I can provide that reference if you'd like to read it.
0: It, it. it looks like when you look at the data from treatment of hepatitis C, but sometimes, that in some instances and with some of the combinations, you can, in 12 weeks, achieve what you want to achieve. And the question would arise, If somebody is under good control with their HIV, would it be better to give them a holiday for the HIV, treat their HCV, and then come back?
1: Well, I I think that uh, we don't like drug holidays in HIV, even if it was for 12 weeks, but I think for certain um, other therapeutic classes of drugs, for instance, the statins, I know at our institution we just stop the statin for 12 weeks if we're going to give it with telaprevir, I think that could be considered, but I don't know how... I don't. I don't think the data support drug holidays for the antiretroviral.
0: Well, if, you, if they're one of the 15% who long-term treatment and if started early enough, they, they'll stay functionally cured for at least 12 weeks. But anyway, um, so some advice is needed about continuing contraception with um, HCV management and HIV management.
1: I'm glad you asked that question. I couldn't find a patient case where the the patient was young enough to uh, need the oral contraceptive. Um, So, ethanol estradiol is reduced to 25% with both biceprovir and Telaprivir. And with Telaprivir, it has been shown that the serum gonadotropin hormones were altered, meaning that that reduction in 25% did translate into reduced contraceptive efficacy. So, that means oral contraceptives are not going to perform as well with the sepravir and telapravir, and you're going to need some additional contraceptive um, measures, particularly when you're using these drugs with ribavirin.
0: Okay. Anybody want to go to the microphone and ask a burning question? Well, thank you, Christine, very much. That was terrific.